0: Sunday uh, school it makes me feel happy.
1: That's I, I think God likes it when we give to other people because it shows Him that we care. When I serve people it might want to make them serve people and then other people will find out about Jesus and if they do it again eventually a lot of people will know about him and Hopefully they will serve Him and love Him. Because He wants us to help His children. God loves us because we worship Him. It makes me feel happy when I praise to God. I like to sing praises to God because it's fun and I
0: know He's listening.
1: I believe that Jesus died on the cross for us and how um, so that way we could, um, that's that way he could take our sins so that way we could go up to, with God in heaven. God hears me when I pray. The Bible tells me about Jesus. The Bible is God's word. Just love me and my Jesus. family loved me so much.
0: Thank you. All right, Simon says, hands up. Wow, really, the first hour people did way better than that. I expect you guys to be awake and about it. All right, try it again. Simon says, hands up. Simon says, the right hand down. Left hand down. All right, I got him. Got him. Got him. Right hand still. Simon says, left hand up. Left hand down. Really? That just happened again? Wow. (laughs) Simon says, left hand down. Simon says, right hand down. Simon says, bob your head. Stop bobbing your head. All right, good. There we go. There we go. Simon says, stop bobbing your head. Simon says, hands up. Dab. No? All right, there we go. Well done. Make sure we got him. I was actually thinking these dingles down here would uh, mess that one up. But uh, my name is Efren. I'm the youth minister here at Discover Christian Church. And... um, and we've been in this series about our vision and our new direction of our church, and we first started off with reach and reaching into our community, loving people where they're at, but loving enough not for them not to stay there. and today we're talking about imitating Christ and all that we do. And uh, before we dig into, it, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll continue on. Demi Father, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to worship you and, and to be together as a body of believers, and I just pray, Lord, just. Uh, con- Continue uh, to allow everything that happens here to uh, bring you honor and glory, and uh, just let everything that I say be your words, not mine, and, and that, that everything I say would just continue to, uh, to edify the church and continue to uh, bring you glory, and I just pray, continue to be with us, that everything else that we do um, just continues to bring you worship and praise. to your name I pray, amen. All right, so, so like I said, we're in this, this idea a uh, vision. And, uh, and today we're going to talk about imitation, and we just played that, the game Simon Says, and, and most of you, even though you're a little slow, caught on, all right, when we were able to, to get through it. And it, everyone knows Simon Says is pretty, it's pretty straightforward. When Simon Says it, you do it. And then, but when it comes to, to Jesus Says, sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate, does it? And when it comes to Jesus Says, it's kind of like we change the rules. We change what happens, and we start thinking, well, Jesus didn't really mean that. Oh, we don't really have to do what Jesus said. And we start changing things a little bit because unlike in Simon Says, like we do everything Simon Says because yeah, we want to do that, do what he does because we want to be up there, we want to be Simon. But then when we start talking about doing what Jesus says so we can be more like Jesus, we tend to take a step back. I mean, just think of it this way for all the parents in the room or maybe grandparents or whatever it may be. I mean, if you, if you tell your child, hey, go do the dishes, And they go off and they come back and they're like, hey, guess what? I memorized what you said. Actually, even better, I got a group of my friends together and we had an in-depth study on what it would look like if we did the dishes. Of course, the natural question is going to be, well, are the dishes done? Well, no, 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 but we memorized it. But get over there and do the dishes. Right? It's expected. We expect that in our homes. We expect that in any form of of authority. Like, that's, that's what we... Want to see when you're told something that you do it. But then when it comes to imitating Christ and do what he says, man, it, things just start changing. Because the idea of imitating Christ is to be obedient. And that's kind of the problem in, in, in the church today and as a whole, the American church, is honestly, we are educated beyond our obedience. We know the scriptures. We know what it says. We know what we have to do. But a lot of times the obedient part, eh it's a little difficult for multiple reasons, and most of them are very personal, or I just don't want to do it. Who knows what it may be? So as we continue on, course, the question is, okay, Well, we're talking about this, I do want to do what Jesus says. I want to be obedient. How does that happen? Well, what does it look like to actually imitate Christ? And we're going to be talking about two points in this, and it's going to seem like two separate things, but honestly, it's the same thing because they have the same end goal. And uh, the first one is going to be personally imitate. How do we uh, personally imitate Christ? And then how do we do it as a congregation, as a church? What does that look like? And to start off, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. And, um, and we're going to be picking up in verse 27. Uh, but I did give you kind of some time to get there, no, no matter if it's actual Bible or your phone. Um, to give you some background, Jesus has, has started off his ministry, and he's doing a lot of miracles. And because of these miracles, um, a bunch of people, it says, he has gathered many disciples So a lot of people have gathered around him because they're like, hey, this guy's healing people, he's providing food, man, this is great, let's go check it out. So he has all these disciples, and then Jesus takes the time uh, to, to separate from them, and he spends all night in prayer. And then when he comes out, he appoints his 12 apostles, and then he turns, it says he turns back to his disciples. He turns back to the crowd, and he goes into the Beatitudes and into the woes. And with this, uh, just to kind of really sum it up, I mean, kind of know about the Beatitudes and such. So, you know, he's saying, you are blessed if this is your current situation. He's saying, woe to you if this is your current situation. And this kind of sounds like, okay, especially the woes part. It's like, well, hey, well, this doesn't look good for me. You know, in America, a lot of us are like, this doesn't look good. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And this is where we pick up in verse 27 because I like the way he says is After he gives the woes, he says, but I say to you who hear, so if you find yourself in this, in this scenario where like, oh, these woes might be speaking to me, you know, there's hope here. Because he just says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, th- this is... One of those verses where when I talked about we're educated beyond our obedience, this is kind of one of those passages. Because as I'm reading that, I'm sure plenty of you are like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. Yeah, we've talked about this before. I understand that yeah, we should love our enemies. All right, if someone hits us on the cheek, turn them off so we start making jokes. And we're not always talking about these cheeks, right? <laughs> and we make jokes and we have fun with it. But, but this is one of those things that Jesus is actually trying to make a huge point here. Because he's speaking into a culture that honestly is not too far from ours. But he's speaking into a culture that didn't believe in this kind of thought, in this kind of teaching. They believed in eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They believed in vengeance. They believed in climbing the ladder of success and having social status and, and being nice to people who, who could bring them things that they wanted or that they felt they needed. So when he comes in and he says, but I tell you, love your enemies, this is a whole new concept for them. Now what's actually crazy is this concept is should, shouldn't have been foreign because you see this same concept in the Old Testament. But because it got diluted and the Pharisees just used the scripture to make it to what they wanted, then this is kind of where they got to. And they just, they just didn't want anything to do with anyone who was mean to them or cursed them or whatever. And Jesus is like, no, those are the people you need to love. Those are the people you actually need to go out to. And this is why Jesus resets the standard of love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse, and then treat others the way you want to be treated. And see, and I actually like this the way Jesus puts this here. Because he says, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. Some translations say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And what's crazy about this is at this time, they they had this idea completely backwards. They, They had the idea more in the negative sense or the negative tense where he says, where it said, don't do unto others that you don't want done unto you. But then Jesus flips it to the positive and says, no, no, do unto others. The reason why Jesus does this is because do is active, don't is inactive. Do constantly look for an opportunity to do good to people around you. Don't essentially sits back and says, well I didn't punch Jordan in the face today so it's been a good day. No it hasn't, I just wasn't a jerk, right? I didn't actually do anything, I just refrained from not doing something bad. And Jesus is like, no, 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 we gotta take it a step further. You gotta actually do good to people. When we talk about doing good unto others, others means everyone. Especially, as Jesus is pointing out, especially those who hate us. Especially those who curse us. Who steal from us. Our enemies. The people we just absolutely cannot stand. Those are the people that we need to be doing good to. And and what I find awesome is, as Jesus finishes this, it's like, obviously Jesus understood that this is a foreign concept for them. So he continues on to kind of pour out the, look, I want to make sure that you guys understand what I'm talking about. So we pick up in verse thirty-two. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinner. Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Now these are kind of like they call like the forgotten verses. Because even though we do understand like and know love your enemies and we treat on that, usually people stop at, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. And we don't get into the second part where Jesus is like, look, let me clarify. If all you do is love people who love you, that doesn't mean anything. If all you do is just love your family, if all you do is love your friends, if all you do is love your nice coworkers or your nice neighbors, if that's all you do, big whoop. You know why? Because even non-Christians, non-believers can do that. Now, if we're saying that we are Christians, if we're saying that, that, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we should be doing the things that people without the Spirit can't do. And that's why God, Jesus calls us to this, to this greater calling here of loving our enemies. Because honestly, that is extremely hard. And with the help of the Spirit, we can absolutely do it. Without the Spirit, good luck. Because we live in a world that is completely self-centered. We live in a world that says, look out for yourself. And this is where I love that, that Jesus, that last part, you know, he wraps it up again. But love your enemies, do good, and land expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons to the most high. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as God is merciful. And see, he just wraps it again. He's like, this is what imitation looks like. You want to look like Christ? That's what it looks like. And you may be thinking about how how exactly does it look this way? If if these are the kind of people I'm supposed to love, these are the kind of people I'm supposed to pour into. Well, in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, uh, it gives us that answer. In Colossians chapter 1, we go in there as well. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through death of his son, much more have been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Colossians chapter 1. I can actually get that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and following. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in the fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So we see here in two passages where, where Paul is pointing out that we were enemies of God. While we were in our our sins, we were his enemies. We were the ungrateful ones. We were the ones engaged in evil deeds, and even though that's what happened, he still sent his son. He still loved us. So it's the same thing. This is why when Jesus says love your enemies, he's not asking anything of us that he hasn't already done. This is what it looks like to imitate Christ, because if we are his enemies, and he still showed mercy to us, then we should be showing mercy. We should be loving those that are hard to love. And this is why it is commanded that we do this, because honestly, if we think about it, every single day, we take an opportunity to crucify Christ by turning away from him. Every single day, we sin. Every single day, we say, God, I can do this better than what you have. And this makes us enemies, but since of what God has did, we have the chance to put those behind us and to imitate him in all that we do. So this is why when we're talking about imitating love and do good and expect nothing in return, this is the expectation. So, so that person at work that's a complete suck up and doesn't do anything and you're just like, how do they keep getting all the promotions? Love them. You know, maybe, or maybe the neighbor that keeps borrowing stuff and never bringing it back. Love them. Or maybe the person that you know when, when you put your, your box of pizza, leftover pizza, in the fridge, and you specifically write on it "Efford and Jordan's pizza," and they still eat it. <laughs> Got to love them. Now, no, I'm you probably like who was it? Uh, we can't prove it, but we feel that uh, you know we can't give names out. So his initials are Jim Breckbuehler. We feel, <laughs> Jim. You know, because Jim just gets in the zone and he just I'm hungry. <laughs> We think it might have been, okay, I digress. I got to let it go, right? Got to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Done. (laughs) So, but even, I mean, we all have those experiences. We all know those people are going through our mind right now where it's just like, man, I don't want anything to do with them. And that's exactly who Jesus is saying, that's who you need to go to. Because loving those who love us, who are nice to us, that's cake. Anybody can do that. You don't even need the power of the Spirit for that. Would you want to tap into the power of the Spirit? Go after the people nobody else wants to deal with. Go after the people that, that the world is just like, push them to the side. All they're doing is getting in your way. or you know, They're not even worth your time. Go after them. That's what Jesus is saying. Because then at this point, our honor and glory will go to God because then you're doing something that the rest of the world can't even fathom. And so because of that, people are going to see a difference in us And they're going to start thinking, you know, I wonder what they have. Oh, what are they doing that's so different? How can they do that? So you create an opportunity to present the gospel to someone. On the outside looking in, you also present an opportunity to that very person you can't stand who is now receiving maybe love for the first time from anyone. Now you're showing them Jesus. And everything brings honor and glory to God. You know, this is why in, in Philippians chapter 2, as we kind of uh, switch gears here to, like, the congregational aspect of it, which you'll see, that all kind of fits in and goes together. Uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. I mean, this is why Paul, he writes to the church in Philippi, because he's like, look, I want to make sure that you guys understand what it means to imitate Christ, and especially to do it as a church. And, and uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 Uh, He writes, you know, to the church in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, or overseer, or elders is another word for overseers. So he's like, all right, this is to the church. I want the church to understand this, but especially leaders of the church, I want you to understand this because this is the model that you need to be, you need to be living so the rest of the congregation can catch on. This is how you're going to live above reproach. And so in chapter two, verse one, it says, therefore, if there is any encouragement, In Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. You see, this is what a church that reflects Christ looks like. Now, I'm sure you can already see how this ties in with what Jesus was saying. Because even though he's speaking to the church, especially that part of, you know, the church needs to be unified and unified in spirits and having the same goal and the same direction that we're moving. Then he goes and he's like, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. That is is so hard for us as humans. I mean, just last night, Katie and I, we went out to dinner. and She's like, hey, do you want to split dessert? I'm like, get your own dessert. I want my own dessert. I don't want to split it. And then, of course, when you try to split dessert, all of a sudden you're in a lightsaber duel with forks, and you're like, back up, that's mine. Man, we're selfish people. A non-selfish person would have said, it's okay, Efren, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Obviously, I should have given her dessert. But it was so good. <laughs> but, but it's very hard for us to not be selfish. And it's very hard for us to... Not think of our own interests. It's hard to think of other people as more important than yourselves. Let I me mean, go ahead and try it. Tell someone next to you, you're more important than me. Yeah, uh-huh. I see it. <laughs> for those guys sitting next to your wife, good job. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is where it's very hard for us. And, but, but Paul still says, do this. And he says this, and we see again there in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. See, we are to act this way. We're supposed to have this attitude because it was Jesus' attitude. And the thing is, I kind of cut it off in the middle of the sentence, so let us continue so we can see exactly how this attitude plays out. But I'll go ahead and start in verse 5 and continue. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so we see here, we see that... How this attitude of not being selfish and thinking of others is more important than yourselves and doing nothing of your own interest is reflected in Jesus. Because honestly, Jesus, he could have been selfish. When God said, hey, you need to go down there and die for these people so we can have a relationship with them, Jesus could be like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. I like the authority. I like being up in heaven. I I like everything that's happening. And besides, all those people do is is they curse our name. Those people, they they keep turning to other idols. They don't want to listen to us. I don't want to go down there and deal with that. That could have been Jesus' attitude, but no. When God says, hey, it's time to go, Jesus says, I'm out. Let's go. Let's do this. He didn't consider his own status in heaven. He emptied himself. He gave up his status. He became a servant. You know, in there says bond servant. We're all servants of God. He took our form, the lowliest form, too, of being born into earth, being born in a manger, in a stable. The lowliest way someone can come in like that. He comes down and he says, I'm going to do it. Because he wasn't selfish. He didn't think of himself. He, didn't, he was thinking of us the entire time. He was thinking of what's best for us, not what's best for him. So this is the attitude that Paul is saying, you know, as a church, we gotta have this attitude. No longer do we have the luxury to say, hey, this is about me, I got my life set up, I got my family set up, I got my friends, everything's peachy, no, 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 it's not. What we see from Jesus and when we see from Paul, look, there's a lot more to Christianity than that. Because here's the thing, if we don't do, these are the things, yeah, we are hard, like I said earlier, if we, we, these are things that we need the power of the spirit to do. But also what we need to realize is if we're gonna call ourselves Christians, spirit-filled Christians, we need to be looking differently than everyone else. Because if someone can't tell the difference between a non-Christian and us as Christians, we're not doing Christianity right. And that's the thing, in this world that today, that even though, even though they say look out for yourself, climb the ladder of success, get high social status, everything for yourself, for yourself, for yourself, Jesus says do the opposite. Think of others more highly as yourselves. Go after others. And when we do this, this is what brings God honor and glory like we discussed earlier. Imagine if someone comes into Discover Christian Church and he sees a group of people that are living this way that are constantly thinking of others, pouring into others on a day in day out basis and we come together and we worship together. If someone comes in and sees that, they're gonna be like, I wanna be a part of that family. I want to be a part of Discover Christian Church because you know what? When I walk in, I feel like family. I feel like they actually love me. I feel like they actually want to invest in me. That's a family people want to be a part of. And that's the family that, that Paul that Jesus say saying we need to pour into because we're doing things that the rest of the world isn't doing. We're pouring into the people that the rest of the world gave up on. And that's what it's going to look like to imitate Christ. And, and the fact that I'm here today is the result of someone doing that same exact thing. When I was in like eighth or ninth grade, um, let's just put it out there, I, I was a big turd, all right? I mean, I was two handfuls. Most people are one, I was two, all right? It was pretty bad. And me and my group of friends, we were the, we were the same way. And it had just gotten to a point where, honestly, the youth leaders and stuff <coughs> and the youth minister at the time had kind of given up on us. And, and there was one moment where I, I had a legitimate question about the study that we were having. And they were just like, just be quiet and go over there. And I was really upset that I came home, and I told my dad, I was like, I'm done with church. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with it. This isn't real. <clears throat> and my dad, you know, being the, the spiritual leader that he is, you know, talked to me, talked me down. He like, it's still important, still to be a part of the church. And I was like, okay. So I ended up going back. And then after some time, we had a new youth leader come in by the name of Kenny. And this guy, he comes in. And the first of all that I liked is, like, he didn't look like a cookie-cutter Christian, all right, in little suit and tie. No, he came in just being him, and I was like, all right, this guy might be pretty cool. And then what made it even better is that he, me and my group of friends who were just terrible, he came to us. He came to us, and he started pouring into us. He started hanging out with us, started talking to us. (coughs) Sorry. He started talking to us, and it was just like, whoa, Uh, someone actually wants to spend time with us? And then as he continued on, he, he continued just wanting to pour into us. And then probably the biggest thing ever is he believed in us. And more specifically, he believed in me. And this was the start of me starting to realize, oh, this is what Christianity looks like. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is what Jesus looks like. Because if I'm honest, I mean, my parents are great. Right? they Christ- two Christian parents, raised me in the Christian home. Everything was great. But as a teenager, you don't listen to your parents, right? So, like, they can tell you all that, but when someone else comes in and does the same exact thing, it's like, ooh, genius. But he did this, and it just took him believing in me, forgetting what everyone else had said about us, he believed in me. And I just wonder how many people, that's all they need. They just need one person to believe in them, to change their life. And what's crazy about Kenny is that as I continue to know him and build his relationship with him, he just continues to seek after Christ and continues in every chance he has to imitate Christ. And he, and he turned down promotions. He turned down uh, things that the world would say, hey, that's great. He turned it down. And honestly, there's, there's a lot more to the story, but I'd rather not say it. I'd rather have him come up and say it himself. If you can welcome Kenny Beers to come up here and talk to you guys.
1: Good morning. I'm really glad he gave me that <coughs> set up as not the cookie cutter Christian to explain the way that I dress normally anyway every day of my life. Um, it's uh, good to be here with y'all this morning um, as he was telling you and uh, I was just sharing with some people out there a while ago by the way that you were not even close to the worst kid that was in that youth group. <laughs> not even close but he was a, He might've been a handful, but he wasn't, it wasn't too much for us, man. Just love that guy. And he's been the same since he was in, in school, man. It's like the same consistent personality, which I love that about him. Um, Our story kind of started about that time. I I always describe my faith to people as I kind of had two monumental instances that put me on the path that I'm on today. Um, And one happened about the time that I was at church with him. I was in my twenties when I met Ephraim. um, I was a youth sponsor at a church that I would not have been at otherwise um, if I wouldn't have been invited by somebody who was doing exactly what he said I did, um, who was imitating Jesus. And this was a neighbor of mine that lived in my neighborhood. Was like, hey man, you should come to our church. And we, me and my wife Kristen, we've been looking for a church um, and just struggling to find a church. And he invited me. He knew me. He knew that I was a rock musician in a band and that I had been touring with my band and recording CDs and stuff with my band and playing in bars. He knew that I had a good job and was trying to raise a family. And that's who I was. You know, I was raised as a child. Uh, my father was an evangelist, and we would go around to churches and share. Uh, the love of God. But about the time I became a teenager, I started wanting to do things on my own. I didn't want to follow my dad's path. I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I got married at 18, joined the Navy, and we moved to San Diego. And I got out after a couple of years and came back home and started pursuing me. That's what I wanted to do. I was like, God, you give me all these gifts, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pursue me. And when I was in my mid-twenties, God was starting to work through me and say, hey, you know what, you got all these talents, but don't forget where you got them from. You got them from me, and I'm going to call you back. So we went to a Christ in Youth conference with these guys in uh, 2005. I committed to ministry that year because they were talking about how the creative arts had just been gone um, in the Christian world and that we have just been letting the world have, have at it, you know, and I thought, well, that's me. I'm, doing, I'm the guy that's doing that. I let the world have all the creative arts, and I need to be claiming that for Christ. So I committed to ministry. That was the first major movement in my life. I took my whole family, left the job at Honeywell and all of my recordings and everything behind and said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try ministry. I'm gonna go be a minister, even though I don't look anything like a minister or act anything like a minister. So we moved to Florida Christian College in, in Kissimmee. What I didn't tell him in first service is that he actually ended up being my neighbor next door because he came a couple years later. was really really cool thing that getting to see god do that Um, but in 2009 the second movement happened i i was invited to go on a mission trip to cambodia by a friend of mine who was also a professor at the school and he said hey uh there is some horrible stuff going on in cambodia if you don't know it there was a, a genocide in the 1970s that millions of people were killed and as a result of it, uh, poverty is huge. And uh, one thing that has come out of, of that is sex trafficking. And, you know, at the time I had a, a daughter who was 12 years old. She's now 20. Um, and a son who is, you know, just a little kid. He's now 17. And I thought, what if I was there? You know, what if, what if my family were in Cambodia? I might be at risk of this. You know, that could happen to my daughter because it was happening to girls anywhere from the age of 6 to 18 years old. So I went on that trip and it changed my life. I remember coming home from that trip, sitting at night and not knowing how to how to wrestle with these thoughts that I was having. Like, what do I do about this? Everything that I've seen and all these girls that I got to spend time with and, and show God's love, but I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with it. So I became an advocate for them and I started going to churches and I would play with a worship team and we'd just share the love of God, and what God was doing through this organization called Rafa House in Cambodia, and I kept going, and, and then the next thing that came out of that was I could take people on that very same trip uh, from my church, and I, I could do that. That made sense, so I became a worship leader at a church, and that's what I started doing. I just started leading teams once a year to Cambodia, so now I've taken like 80 people to Cambodia and, 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 and showed them what the work of Rafa House is doing in Cambodia, But in the midst of that, I really started struggling with one thing was, what's going on with all these guys who are over here? There's all these boys who are kind of on the sidelines of the ministry who aren't girls who have been trafficked, but they're probably the ones who are causing all this stuff in the first place. But who's showing love to them? Who's just kind of walking through day-in, day-out life with them? And the answer was nobody. And I started thinking, all these years that I've been going to Cambodia, maybe God's calling me. You know, because I don't have a lot of gifts to offer. Like I said, I'm a worship leader. I don't see that as the greatest gift in the world in terms of, you know, re, you know, money or career path or anything like that. But I have simple gifts that I can offer. What I do have is willingness. And a lot of times that's the one thing that we're missing. We're, you know, we're just missing the boat on the fact that God's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for people who've got all of it together, who, whose kids have the perfect college plan layout whose, whose uh, marriage is, you know, set up five years from now and everything's going to be lined up perfect. He's not always looking for that. What he's looking for, like Efren said earlier, is obedience. And I said, I can do that. I'm just dumb enough to do that, you know. That's really what it comes down to. I'm just that guy. I'm, I'm like, yeah, God, I'll, I'll do that. I, I can be obedient and follow you in that, but I trust him. Here's what I realized as a worship leader. I've been a worship leader for 10 years at a church. And I sing these songs like we sang earlier about waves crashing over us. Um, now, I'm from Florida, and, and I've seen waves before. Um, do you know what the thing is about waves, what, are they, what they do? They crush you, and they push you down into the sand. They don't always feel good like they do when we sing these songs, you know. Um, that's what faith is like. It can be like that. When you're following God and you're stepping out of that boat and trusting God, sometimes it's going to hurt people, and sometimes it's not going to feel good. Uh, but God has not called us to that. He's not called us to what's going to feel good. He's called us to be obedient to him. And I know that's the truth. I know that's what Ephron has been working out in his life. So we are becoming ministers in Cambodia, doing the very same thing that we did with him some 12 years ago, just loving on people and discipling them. That's all I can do. That's all I have to offer. But I'm obedient, and I'm going to do that in Cambodia. And so my whole family is moving to Cambodia um, we don't know what to expect. We're going with an organization called New Mission Systems International. Um, their goal is just to make disciples globally. And so we're, we're perfectly aligned with that. Like, hey, I can go to another country and try and make disciples. I'm gonna learn their language. I'm gonna learn how to teach them worship. And I'm gonna just disciple people that are in my influence and, and that's all I can do. But you can do the same thing right here and I want you to know that. Uh, chances are you have some people who are part of your influence everywhere you go, and you need to be pouring into them because look what can happen like 12 years later. That goofy kid who you didn't know what would happen with is going to become a youth pastor someday and be in a church that's in a different state. So you do have impact on people and I want you to know that and very thankful for y'all having us here today and that we had time to share with you. Um, Just keep believing in people. That's what I'd say to you. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, I really wanted you guys to be able to hear that, that story of Kenny because it's just like, you know, different stages of, of obedience there. And just first just, you know, with us and with kids and what it just seems like may not be a big deal. And then going into ministry and then now going to Cambodia. And then, and then going to Cambodia, what I just found just crazy about him doing this is like when he was talking to me about it was that idea of discipling these guys who probably are the ones causing the problems of trafficking over there. Uh, And that just blew my mind because it's the first I've ever heard of something like that because, honestly, talk about bigger enemies. I mean, all the time we're like, we need to save the girls. we got to get the girls out of there. And I agree with that 100%. I'm not downplaying that. But what you never really hear is, hey, how can we get these guys to stop trafficking these girls? Now, usually we start thinking of things like the movie Taken where it's like, I'm going to go over there, let's go, and take them out. That was a triple combo, by the way, if you all want to know what that was. But... um. But then just, this, just this, this idea of, you know, I want to go in there, and as they're coming out of it, let's disciple them and show them what it means to follow Christ. And, and again, man, talk about loving your enemies. Most people won't even think of that kind of thing. But when it comes down to it, I mean, that's what imitating Christ is. Doing things that the world would look at and say, that is completely crazy. I mean, who would love their enemies like that? Who would love the traffickers? Who would love those annoying teenagers? Who would want to just pour into people that are just nasty to you and ugly to you? Like, who would want to do that? Who was crazy enough to do those things? I tell you who imitators of Christ. And as we continue in our service, we're going to go into our time of communion. Because when we're talking about imitating Christ, I mean, we celebrate what he has already done for us. And I want to go ahead and read again Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, so we can see what we're celebrating, what we're imitating, what we're supposed to be imitating day in, day out, personally, and also together as a church. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And see, that's who we're imitating. That's who we want to be like. Our Savior who decided It's not about him. It's about us. It's about our best interests and came down and died for us. So let's reflect on that as we also reflect on this idea of imitation while we take communion and and praise and celebrate what he has done for us and take this time to reflect. So let us go ahead and uh, partake of communion together.